What is up and welcome back to 24 Minutes of the Oscars, the podcast that takes a look at the 2024 Oscars 24 minutes at a time. I'm Ethan Simi. I'm Ben Lawhorn. This week on the pod, we are maintaining our finest physical form and crossing the Rubicon as we talk about the holdovers. A cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go and a grieving cook. Uh, this is best picture number five. We're officially halfway through our Academy Awards Best Picture coverage and season here on this show. Uh, before I get too far and lament about how we're already so far into award season, it feels like we just started. Uh, we have a wonderful guest joining us, Brian Sudfield of the Film Fragments podcast. Brian, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Stifle it, boys. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> doing good, man. Um, okay, like I said, we're five weeks into this. Ben, I just wanted to check in with you real quick. We were looking forward to this for so long, and like yeah. we get to talk about the Academy Awards again, and we've been, been been guessing for a few weeks on Best Picture nominees. We now have our 10. We came out with an episode with our nomination reactions. We know the five that we're going to be covering for the next five weeks before the Oscars, but we're already halfway done with Crazy. this thing, which is kind of wild. Yeah, I can't believe it. Um, I mean- to toot our own horn, I guess we did, or you specifically guessed eight of the ones correctly uh, that we had. Uh, I mean, you guessed all ten in the official in the official um, gold yeah, derby. Don't thing, sell me so short. Awesome. <laughs> but on our schedule, early early on, you you knew which eight were going to be here. So it's crazy. We're halfway through. Nice to finally have the nominations though, and no longer you know just be wondering what's going to make it. Um, maybe. I think people seem to have a lot of opinions on the nominations and uh, <laughs> we've seen that on Twitter for sure. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Of course, Brian, I want to ask you how you feel about the nominations. You're our first guest that's come on since the nominations have come out before you answer that question though. I just need to know because until we cover this movie on the show, I will be asking each and every guest, how do you feel about Maestro, Brian? <laughs> um be an ally brian it's not that hard be a friend okay 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 um <laughs> i'll get the bad out of the way and then transition to the good it's my least favorite of the best picture nominees this year however what? however That's let me let, let let me finish oh my god i like i like maestro I, I like all the best picture nominees this year so even though this is my least favorite of the best picture nominees I still like it. That's why I said I would start off with the bad before I transition to the good. Nice. I Shot chaser. I like don't it. know if I believe any of that, to be honest. I feel like you're just trying to let me down easy and just like, be now like why hey, would I, actually now why, why would I do that? Do I seem like the kind of <laughs> person true. that would do that? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I, I don't deserve that kind of coddling. Uh, how did you do on your predictions, Brian? And our I guess what is the movie that you think is going to win Best Picture? What's the movie that you are the happiest to see included in this Best Picture nomination list? Um, I did pretty good with the predictions. In terms of Best Picture, I predicted all 10. I was pretty proud yes. of myself. I mean, I definitely changed it up once the PGA 10 came out and everything. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm pretty proud of myself. I did stuff with the outlet that I contribute with, the Rolling Tape, where we predicted all the Oscar nominations. I got, I don't have the number pulled up, but like I was in the high 70s. Nice. Out of 100%, which was, I, I'm pretty proud of myself there. I got four categories perfect, which, I mean, sounds kind of bad. But, you know, I'm, again, much better than last year where I did pretty terribly. Uh, yeah. This year I did much better. Um, what were the other questions again? Who's going to win Best Picture? <laughs> Who's going to win? 
Oh, it's Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, of course. My Oppie boy. Uh, uh, which, Oppie which, homies. Which best picture are you happiest made it into this 10? Um, I'm going to say probably... Probably Anatomy of a Fall. That's, That's the one that I was very excited to see in there. I mean, I had a feeling they would get in, but I was still like just unsure if they were even going to nominate either of those international titles in that mm-hmm. and Zone of Interest, and I'm glad that both of them made it in. Ben, yeah. you have not seen Anatomy of a Fall, American Fiction, Maestro, or The Zone of Interest. So you have not seen four out of our upcoming five. Is that correct? That is true, yes. Wow. I am so excited for you. In a huge coincidence, though, Maestro is also my least favorite of the 10. So that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of crazy. That's insane. Yeah, that's insane. You know, yeah. It's just, what do you do? <laughs> you knew. You knew the whole time. Um, I am also excited that they included Anatomy of a Fall. I The more that I think about it, the more that I think Anatomy of a Fall is the biggest winner out of the nominations because it took home five nominations it's pretty big key categories, of course, best director, original screenplay, best picture, those types of things. Sandra uh, Huller being nominated uh, for best actress. So I feel like that is a huge winner and is going to be taken quite seriously. And I, 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 I just feel like the more that I listen to people talk about it, the more that I think about it myself, Anatomy of a Fall is going to be the movie that disrupts things. I feel like come Academy Awards night. And if that starts taking home a couple of awards, things could go a little bit awry. Do I think Oppenheimer is still going to steamroll? I do. But the categories that Anatomy of a Fall is in, things get a little bit contested. Um, Ben, do you have any like three days after thoughts? Because the last time we talked about our Academy Award nominations was Tuesday morning, bright and early. We're now recording a few days after that, or at least a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Have you kind of thought about anything else change your feelings on anything uh i mean i'm i'm kind of surprised but not really i guess it's just the blowback that um margo and greta are getting Oof. for not getting nominated nominated it's like it's terrible i get it but even for me if you if you gave me the best actress lineup i would throw in greta lee over margo you know what i, mean? I agree like, yeah not that margo didn't do a great job i just think greta lee did a fantastic job so that's not even the quote unquote snub I'm worried about, you know, that's bothering me. But overall, I mean, I think they did a pretty good job. Like you said, it's anatomy of all getting five nominations has definitely made me more excited to see it um, and and to check it out. And same with, you know, zone of interest once we finally get it here. So um, yeah, overall I'm okay with it. It's just like, it's amazing to see what people are upset about. Um, But everyone that's upset about iron claw, I'm with you. I'm very upset that they didn't get anything at all. (laughs) Yes. Well, Here's the interesting thing, because, of course, as we know, studios really only have like the the capacity, the bandwidth, the funds, whatever it may be to shoot for like one or two things to be included in this. Right. So, like, of course, Netflix has has Maestro and they ended up getting a couple Nyad nominations. They got a Rustin nomination like that. They, they've got a few there. We've got like one neon anatomy of a fall that's going for best picture we have two a24 films this year which is the only studio to get two movies in the best picture nomination list of course one of those not being iron claw iron claw doesn't get nominated for anything and i feel like that's kind of a double-edged sword because a24 played their cards right they got two best picture nominations they got a lot of other nominations outside that category for those films as well but it just wasn't the additional movie I think that people wanted to see like included in this list. Um, so it's kind of a, a tough situation. Brian, do you have any 
couple days after thoughts on these nominations. Yeah, I mean, not to um, go on this topic for too long, but the whole Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, Barbie snub discourse is insane to me. It's insane. Like, obviously, look, I loved Barbie as well, and would they have been deserving? Absolutely. But, you know, the way that some people are talking about it, I saw this, and I'm sure you guys might have seen this headline too. So there was a mm-hmm. post that went around from an IndieWire Instagram post, I believe, where they said Greta Gerwig is out, but Justine Trier is in. And the way that it was phrased made it seem like it was bad that Justine Trier was in, which in my opinion is so disrespectful. And again, maybe that's not how they intended to word it. They probably just made a mistake on their part, but, you know... It's unfortunate that we're focusing so much on what missed Mm -hmm. instead of what actually got in because there are a lot of really great nominations. Of course, every single year at the Oscars, there's always a a film or a performance or something that we want to get nominated and it ends up missing. And yeah, it stinks that they aren't going to get nominated for the highest prize in Hollywood, but... You know, it's it's okay. It happens. It's not the end of the world, at, at least for me. That may be a bit of a hot take. But um, I looking back at the nominations, I mean, there's more nominations I'm happy with than I'm angry mm. with. I mean, mm. I know that, Ethan, you just watched uh, Nyad. I did. And, I also and we just were, watched and, Rustin, so I could cross all the act, acting noms off my list. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm very happy with Coleman's nomination. That was very deserved. Yeah, but um, the the Nia nominations, Jody's, and I think I might have told you this. I'm not angry that she got nominated. I mean, I wouldn't have nominated her, but it's not like, oh my god, this is a terrible nomination. Whereas the star of Nia, Nia herself, yeah, terrible nomination. But really, I mean, I had no complaints really with many of the nominations. Of course, there's some things I wanted to get in. I mean, Ben, like you said, Iron Claw, I'm pouring one out for them. Like mm-hmm. seriously, they they deserve so much better this season, but. A lot of great nominations, and yeah, I mean, on the top of my head, besides Annette Bennett's nomination, I can't yeah. think of a nomination that like really ticked me off. I could think of things that I wanted to get in, but really, yeah, besides sure. that Best Actress nom, there's not that many that really just ticked me off. Maybe that Best Score nom for uh, Indiana <laughs> Jones, but you know, yeah. okay. I can't, I can't be mad at the old man. I can't be mad at him. So it's, yeah. a, it's a tough beat. Uh, much like you guys, I agree that this discourse with the Greta and Margot uh, omissions has been quite substantially toxic and has definitely teetered on like not beneficial in the slightest to uh, Margot, to Greta, to the cast of Barbie, to like the state of movies in general. I think it's quite perplexing uh, what happened. And I just like... I did not foresee like the tides turning in 24 hours where Twitter just became a cesspool of people backlashing against the Academy because two people missed out on nominations. Um, I think it's really wild. And I think it does go to show that anatomy of a fall is an interesting juxtaposition to Barbie because Barbie was the movie of Twitter. Like that was the movie of the year for social media and for, you know, the the people going to the movies for the first time in a long time or whatever it may be. In my opinion, and I, I don't really know if this is a hot take, but this is like an unpopular opinion for sure. I, I, I definitely think Justine Trier is much more deserved uh, in that 
category than Greta is. Um, I agree. Not, not to take anything away from Greta because I adore her films and I adore her as a filmmaker and an actress and a person. I just think what Justine Trier was able to accomplish with Anatomy of a Fall, which of course we'll talk about here in a couple of weeks on the show, um, is much more substantial and uh, does go to show like this highly kind of like quote unquote Twitter pilled like take on what the Academy Awards should be or who should be nominated um, because a French courtroom drama is not Barbie. And so I, I find that very fascinating. Um, I do agree that the Annette Benning nomination is wild and I don't get it. And I, 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 I get it from like the Academy's perspective of like, Hey, we like Annette Benning. Um, but I was substantially let down by her performance in Nyad. Um, and you know, there's, there's that. I, I feel pretty good. And I think the best picture slate is like the best, best picture slate we've had in like, 10 years or like, like a long time, 15 years. Ever since they re-expanded it to 10, it's definitely the best lineup that we've had in a very long time. And here's what I find really interesting is some conversations around this have been like, okay, look out because this backlash has happened. And now of course people are going to be saying we need 10 directors and we need 10 actors and we need to expand everything, which I think is absolutely unnecessary and complete garbage. Um, And this argument that a movie doesn't direct itself um, is also horseshit. I, I sure a director directs a movie. I understand that, but there's five best director nominations and there's 10 best picture nominations. That's just life. That's just how they get recognized. Um, And, you know, in the case of Margot, I think a lot of people are forgetting like she's a producer and like Greta's a producer on that film. Like they're they they've been nominated to be yeah. producers. Producers make films. Yes, directors direct films, but producers put them in action. So and she got nominated for writing it too. Like right, you know. I think I think it's a win all the way around. So uh, let's move on and talk about the holdovers because. This episode is specifically about The Holdovers. Brian, I know this was one of your favorite movies of 2023. I'm really excited to have you on for this episode. What do the Oscars mean to you? Uh, Do you watch them every year? Obviously, you predict things. Do you have a party to watch them? Um, How do they influence your life? Yeah, the Oscars are my Super Bowl. I mean, I get excited for the Oscars every single year. I always tried to explain to my in real life friends and my family of why I get so excited for the Oscars. And they're like, why do you get so excited for this award show where it's just, you know, people get awards and everything. And I'm like, well, why do you get excited for the Super Bowl? It's just <laughs> men tackling each other with a ball. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, I mean, I get why they get excited for it, but no, I, the Oscars are just something I love to watch. They celebrate film. I, obviously grew up loving movies and I've been following the Oscars for a little over 10 years now. Mm. I watch them every single year. I didn't really do any Oscar parties until I was in college. And then after college, I would really travel to places to watch the Oscars. Last year I was in LA during the Oscars because the Oscars last year happened to be on my birthday, which in my wow, opinion nice. was a major win because a good fucking movie won best picture last year. So I this was very true. happy. It, it While it wasn't my number one movie of the year, it was my number two. So, you mm. know, we, we, we won regardless. And um, I was very happy that night. And of course for a 24 as well. I mean, they had a hell of a night last year at the Oscars, but I love the Oscars. I love watching them every single year, even though, 
the politics behind them and the discourse behind them gets unfortunately worse and worse year after year. <laughs> but that won't stop me from watching it. I keep saying, oh, the Oscars are fucking stupid, and yet I'll, I'll keep watching them because <laughs> that's just what I have to do. They nominate the movies that I love. They celebrate the movies that I love. So I have mm-hmm. to see the actors and the filmmakers and all these other people get recognized for their incredible work. And then I could also laugh about the uh, terrible work that gets nominated or possibly win at the Oscars. Mm. This is true. Uh, don't let the entity hear that you disagree with it being nominated because <laughs> it'll probably come after you. Um, ben, last year you came out to Portland and we watched yeah. the Oscars together and that was really fun. Um, we haven't discussed our Oscars watchings plans yet. Um, so I don't know what we're doing for the Oscars. Should we do it here year. on the pod? Should we hash it out? Let's, let's figure, figure it out. out right now. Book those plane tickets, brother. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I want to come got, back. I got up miles to redeem. I might, I might head your way. Who knows? <laughs> let's make it happen. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, of course, uh, I'm excited for the Oscars. I think the closer that they get, of course, the more excited I become. Uh, I'm just really like fingers crossed that they do some cool shit this year. Uh, like I think like. They should have, you know, good duos presenting and like cool music and that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, fingers crossed. We'll see. Probably not going to happen, but anything's possible. Uh, the Holdover is nominated for five Oscars this year. Pretty impressive. Uh, w- here's what it's been nominated for. Of course, Best Picture. Best Actor in Paul Giamatti. Best Supporting Actress, Davine Joy Randolph. Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing. Brian... Out of those categories, do you think that the holdovers will win any of them? Absolutely. I think it has at least one Oscar locked down. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like we'll talk about it in the episode, but it's definitely not walking home empty handed. There's no way. It would be an incredibly big shock if it doesn't win the award that it seems to be likely to win. Right. Uh, and of course, I I think you're referring to Best Supporting Actress, which mm-hmm. we will talk about after we talk about the movie here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, I know you agree with that take as well. Uh, Paul Giamatti versus Killian Murphy. Do you do? How are we feeling? Because every week that the Oscars gets closer, it feels maybe not more of a toss up, but it just feels like more of a little bit of an unknown that might throw a curveball. In like the Oppenheimer takeover. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. I still think Killian has the edge on it. Um, I th- I think the tighter race might be Best Actress, but um, I think I think Killian has it. But Paul is deserving. Like rewatching this movie, like it's a wonderful performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad to see that it got original screenplay. Um, is written by someone named David Hemmingson who as looking at his IMDb, he's only ever done TV. This is his first movie he's ever written. So that's wow. pretty amazing to get nominated for an Oscar for your fil- first film screenplay. Um, and again, like as, as someone who edits for a living, I'm shocked at this nomination. <laughs> like I don't really get it. Like I get it, you know, cause good editing you don't want to see, but I was just like, man, I'm kind of surprised at what this got over some other movies um so yeah you know i'm with brian like i think supporting actress is a lock um but if if anything else it's probably actor that it might get Mm -hmm. uh do you think paul has a shot brian or is it all killian all day it's tough to say Uh, paul is my personal favorite lead actor performance of the year so of course if he were to win i would be very very happy about that i do think that 
I, I mean, it's it, it seems like it's going to be a close race between him and Killian. I feel like, depending on how the rest of the season goes, I think we won't really know if Paul could win the Oscar really until the sacks. Mm-hmm. Once the sack happens, if Paul gets that SAG award, then his chances of winning the Oscar increase skyrocket. tremendously. They skyrocket tremendously. But I don't know. It's If it's not either him or Killian, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, I have Killian win an actor, and I would be very happy with that. I mean, obviously, Oppenheimer was my favorite movie of last year, but... Um, Again, it would it would not be a disappointment if Paul were to walk away with the Oscar. Obviously, he's never won before. He's been in the career, the business for a long time. Uh, this has been a, a long time coming in terms of nomination. He was robbed of an after nomination 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you could ask me tomorrow and maybe I'll say yes. But right now, I, I don't think he's going to win after. But I'm not going to be shocked if he wins after in the long run. The Academy does like that narrative of saying, hey, mm-hmm. we we righted our wrong that we that we got that we messed up 20 years ago. And now we can feel good about ourselves. Um, Killian, I mean, you know, kind of a similar boat like he's he's been around like this is his shot. Right. This is a chance. And it feels like a pretty uh, standard narrative. And actually, a lot of categories is like, is this the only chance this person will have to take home an Oscar? Uh, of course, we we kind of see that with Lily Gladstone, uh, Killian. There are those narratives like floating around. Um, speaking of SAG, it looks like that's going to be on February 24th on Netflix. So we can stream it on there. So we've got quite a ways to go. That'll be just two weeks before the Oscars. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're saving the blow for the, uh, the final couple weeks there for the Academy Awards. Anything's possible, I think. Paul's got a shot, like you said, if he takes home SAG, I think things change drastically. I don't think he's going to take home SAG. I, I just, I really feel like Oppenheimer's got the juice. Uh, Dave Joy ran off, of course, I think has it in the bag. And I don't think it is going to win anything else in the categories that's, that it's for. So, going to take home one, could take home two. Well, we will see. Uh, any other Holdovers Academy Awards thoughts before we get into the movie? You don't think it has a possibility of taking home the screenplay Oscar? I think it's all Anatomy of the Fall, baby. You think it's all Anatomy in the Fall? I, it's. I, I just. I just think it's got too much momentum with the Golden Globe win and Justine Trier being directed. Pain missed out on directing. I just feel like it doesn't have what it takes in that category. You know, that's that's an interesting point. That's definitely a valid argument to be made about how, because it won the Globe and how there's all this buzz surrounding Anatomy of a Fall and everything, it could take home the screenplay Oscar. I have a feeling, though, that if Anatomy doesn't win, I, I don't know. I feel like this would be the one to have the best shot. If it's not Anatomy, I think it would be this. I don't really buy Maestro winning screenplay. Um, past lives, I would love to see that happen, but I'm not sure if that would happen. And then who else got nominated in original May, screenplay? May, December. May, December. Now that would be a deserving win as well, but mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about know. best original screenplay here in a couple of weeks here on the show. When we cover Maestro, that's what we're going to kind of connect with that movie. I am curious and I wonder what you think, Ben, I I see I feel like I disagree with Brian. I think if if Anatomy of a Fall doesn't win, 
I just have a sneaking suspicion that past lives takes home the win in this category. Uh, that, that's what I want and that's what I hope. So I, I can't tell if I am separating <laughs> my head from my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure, but that's what I would love to see happen for sure. Like I, I people who've listened to this pod, any episode for the last five weeks, I've heard me say it's my favorite movie of last year. So anything, yeah. anything you can get, I'll take. I think there are some truly substantial moments in past lives that might set it apart in that screenplay race that if you watch the stream when things were nominated, the two times past lives got called out, hearty cheers from the crowd. Whoever's in that crowd, it's it's probably not substantial members of a voting body, but it could be indicative of how people might feel. And of course, Greta Lieb not being nominated for Best Actress, Celine Song not really being in the conversation for Best Director, our sad boy John Magaro not having a role substantial enough to to even break into this supporting actor uh, race. Uh, same thing with, with T.O.U., like just not being in the conversation. I wonder if that sees the win in original screenplay. I, like I said, I still think it's Anatomy of a Fall. Um, and we will, of course, do like one final episode just a couple of days before the academy awards come out of like what we think is going to happen what we feel like is gonna is gonna win and trying to like take stock of everything like 48 hours prior to the show so um this is you know we're still like seven weeks out here anything anything is possible um do i think maestro is going to take on screenplay absolutely not but you know what (laughs) still a maestro boy i gotta do what i can let's talk about the holdovers we're gonna break this down a little bit and do some true cinema um we will start with kind of this juxtaposition of scenes um, starting in, in, in mass and um, kind of understanding Dave and Joy Randolph's character and her son um, kind of passing away with his service in the, in the military. And then Tolly, our main character getting a call from his mom saying, you're not coming home this break. You're being held over. And these two identifying themes of loneliness, abandonment, sadness, happening in two very distinct manners. Um, Brian, tell me your thoughts on this scene and this introduction to the holdovers. I love the way that we're introduced to these characters. I love how with both of them, you know, you get these different sides of them to where with Mary, um, we're introduced to her just working in the kitchen and everything, prepping for everything as everyone's about to go home for the holidays and what have you. And there's this very subtle moment. The music had already stopped for a few minutes. And then she just happens to look out the window. And then the camera's like zooming towards the window. Mm -hmm. It's very subtle. It's very quiet. Then all of a sudden the music just slowly comes back in. And you could like sense that, okay, like we could tell that something's going on with her. We don't know what. Like obviously if you walk into this movie not knowing anything, like, you know, you could tell that something is up. And then with Tully, when we're first introduced to him, he's packing up for the trip and getting ready and what have you. And he's throwing all these comments and saying like, oh, I was with your mother last night or blah, 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 something like that. (laughs) He's got some good. He can serve it, by the way. He he really quick. He really can. He really can. And then we cut to him in the classroom. You could tell like, oh, he's such a smart aleck and everything like he's a smart student and what have you. But he's. He's very cocky and a little bit rebellious. Um, but I, I really love the way that we're introduced to uh, Tully and Mary. I think those are great ways of introducing the characters. I mean, I 
I remember when I saw the movie at TIFF and I remember everyone was talking about how like these were great introductions and everything for these two characters. I mean, obviously we'll get into the character of Paul very shortly, I believe, but mm-hmm. I really, really love the way that we're introduced to these characters without being told so much. I, I like that we're not being spoon fed so much within the first five minutes. We get enough, but we're not overstuffed with information about either of these characters. We mm-hmm. learn a bit more as the movie progresses about the two of them, which I really appreciate. Ben, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great uh, intro. I don't know that I have much to add to what Brian said. The only other thing I want to talk about was how interesting it was on this rewatch to clock the fact that both the teachers and the students call him walleye. Like he gets zero respect mm-hmm. from anybody at that school. <laughs> um, you know, the teacher that kind of lied about what he's got going on is like, oh, I can't stay here because my mom's sick or whatever. Just dirty um, play. Dirty yeah, play. So and, and, then, and then it cuts to the mass. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry about your mother. He's like, he's what? Like, what? Yeah, oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so good. And then the, the whole classroom scene and how, you know, totally ends up getting them more homework and things like that. Uh, trying to lighten the mood like well I got us out early but it's I just thought it was an interesting way to meet Paul and just be like oh no one gives this guy any respect in this school like that's who he is so that's kind of interesting but great intro to all these characters yeah agreed I think the only two things I want to call out this is my first and only Alexander Payne movie I've ever seen so um, I don't have a great frame of reference for like his other things or or other movies that Paul Giamatti has made with him. Um, and I kind of hold that in like high esteem. Like I like that this is the thing where I'm just like, oh yes, Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti, like the holdover. This is great. Um, of course I I will watch the other things eventually. Um, and I just wanted to call out the the use of the song in the beginning is excellent. Big like um. I know it's not like Scorsese vibe, but it is like kind of core like Scorsese vibes. So like Needle dropped this song three times in the mm-hmm. same movie, uh, twice, like in the, within the span of like 15 or 20 minutes. So, uh, you know, big vibes of The Departed, of course, um, and, and kind of using that song to introduce, set the tone and these types of things. Dominic Sessa in this movie, word is that he was found at this college that they were going to shoot. High, high school, high school, high school. And he had never acted before. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe he's like a theater kid, but um, they were just like, hey, you want to be our guy? And like, I mean, a, a week ago, he was like kind of on the brink of like, hey, maybe he'll get an Oscar nomination, which I think is insane. I love Dominic Sessa in this movie. I think he's totally dynamite. We'll talk about him more, of course, as we go through the movie. The next one I have on the list is the smoke break. Why everyone is being held over. Uh, We get the introduction to kind of like the big range of ages and personalities. Uh, We're going to meet Kuntz and this kid named Alex Allerman, this kid named Park, and everybody has like a different, really kind of traumatic like reason that they're being held over, where it's just like People don't care. And of course, you know, Ben, like you mentioned, like Paul gets no respect, Paul Hunnam. And that's like the, that's like the mode of the movie. It's just like, people don't respect these people and they don't value their time, their companionship, their relationships that they have with them. Uh, And I like this, this scene quite a lot because it does feel like it encapsulates that, that big seventies, you know, vibe that of course, pain and focus features and everybody was going for with this film where they're just like talking about mm-hmm. what's going on. And I, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, ben, this scene, good, no good. 
I mean, I thought it was great. We got a little insight into who these characters are. Um, even, you know, with Tully kind of calling out that other guy who, who calls uh, Park. I, mean, I forget what slang he uses, you know, but pretty disrespectful. Uh, it's like, okay, so this guy will stick up for other people. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And as someone who grew up in the Mormon church, it was funny to see that little kid, you know, be like, oh, I'm a Latter-day Saint. I'm a Mormon, you know, and just hearing about why his parents were like on a mission which like in real life would never happen, but it's really funny to hear it used in this movie like that. Um, but I thought it was a great introduction to this group that uh, I think for the most part, we don't know, like we assume we're going to be with them throughout the whole movie. And so it's a great way to get to know who Angus is going to be around this entire time. Obviously that changes, but a uh, really good introduction to everyone. Horrible introduction to that wig. That wig is awful, unfortunately, for the football <laughs> player. But other than that, everything's good. Would you shave your head if it meant you didn't have to be held over? Cut your yeah. hair, I guess. He didn't have to shave. He just had to cut his hair. Yeah, it's just hair. You know what I mean? Why not? Wow, that's a take. I don't know if I... It's, it's a pretty luscious locks. I, I don't mean, know if you risk that. Yeah, I mean, he had, he had nice hair for sure, but first getting stuck with the, all those leftover foods and things like that for two weeks. I don't know. I yeah. Maybe not worth out. it. Yeah. Well, panned out to not really be worth it in the end. Cause his skin got fucking obliterated by the, <laughs> yeah. the wind. him and Coons both just ended up losing that one. Uh, Brian, anything you want to call out about this scene? Um, yeah, I love how all these students are so drastically different from one another. And I really like how you bring up the age of how, like you have these three that are definitely like, older teenagers then you have these two much younger kids there as well and i really mm-hmm. <laughs> don't you have to wear some kind of magic underwear or something <laughs> that's just a, that's just a room but also just like i know we're going to talk a little bit more about dominic Sessa's performance in a little bit but specifically when it comes to like these scenes where it's all five of these kids interacting and then he's like oh where's my picture and he's like why are you here coons where's your family and they're like oh we're renovating our house. And he's like, it's winter, no, idiot. No one renovates, renovates our house in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah. that line may not necessarily be funny, but just like the emphasis that he has on the word winter. He's mm-hmm. like, it's winter, idiot. Just, <laughs> oh my God. So much rage. I love it so much. I love, I love the sequences with all five of them. And I will admit it definitely caught me off guard because when I was watching the movie for the first time, I'm like, isn't there supposed to only just be one kid yeah. why is there mm-hmm. five kids like what did the movie did the marketing lie to me like what the fuck movie <laughs> but no i i love the sequences with all of them together there's some really nice moments uh particularly one of the sequences where um oh god park he um accidentally wets the bed mm-hmm. and has a nightmare up, yeah. yeah and you know that's definitely one of the more moving moments and then of course there's a nice joke thrown in it where he's like fucking asparagus yeah <laughs> totally totally brings a lot of sass but he brings a lot of comfort and i think that he does crucial he does. crucial about his character he's uh, a, he's a, he's a lovable asshole that's what he is yeah this is true uh next on the list the first dinner where hunnam blows up at coons this is the first time you get to see giamatti really unleash as hunnam and just be like oh cool so like people are just keeping him down and he just like kind of feels a lot of bitterness towards like the world and people treating people like people treat him. And I think of course it's very, very telling. He sticks up for Mary in this situation where Koontz is bitching about the food. Um, Koontz is just like a, a one elite asshole in this movie, which works 
for me. Yeah. It, you gotta have you hey you have to have that uh, key ingredient of that kid who was just irredeemable, which is which is him. Uh, but I really like the scene because it finally opens up a little bit about Hunnam and like how he might feel about protecting certain people around him or feel towards other people and uh, breaks a little bit of those those walls down. Uh, anything about this scene like stand out to you guys at all? I just thought it was a beautiful scene, uh, honestly carrying over to later when he goes um, and joins her watching TV, joins Mary. Oh, and yeah, she, the newlywed you know, game. Yeah, and she thanks him for what he said and stuff like that. Um, I also like that she calls him out then. And was like, oh, yeah, my son had you. He hated you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of funny, but uh, it was nice to see him stick up for her and just like kind of lose his temper there for a moment and just like get all that, that emotion out of him. Um, and get a little fear of God in that in Koontz as well. You know, it's like, you can't just say everything you think you don't need to anyway. Yeah. 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 I, I love the scene as well. And you know, there's a lot of emotions sprinkling throughout for one, just see anytime you see Paul Giamatti have an outburst, it's great. No matter what, no matter what the context is, whether it's for comedy purposes or dramatic purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do love seeing how, even though he comes off as someone who doesn't have a lot of respect, it doesn't seem to respect a lot of other people. The fact that he does respect Mary and feels for her in the midst of her grieving and what have you. I really liked how he stood up for her and just screaming at Koontz and everything. And, you know, saying a pretty spot online, life is like a hen house ladder, <laughs> shitty and short. Yeah. Like it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. And, you know, I love how, Ethan, you brought up how, you know, we need a character like Koontz, who's like kind of the asshole, like the stray up asshole. Yeah. And I like what Mary says about him, especially that little Koontz kid, crown prince of all the little assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you guys, and maybe it's just, I, I watched this, I rewatched this movie like a week and a half ago. So maybe I've forgotten and I didn't write it down. Do we know anything about Hunnam's personal life? Like, was he previously married or is any of that information revealed he was close to getting married there was okay. he talks very That's briefly it, it was later on when they watched the newlywed game the second time okay where she's like what about you you ever get married and he's like no i was very close i like being alone i don't mm. really find the uh interaction with people or the the time to be with people to be what i love to do yeah. and what have you I find that aspect of Hunnam's character very fascinating and very interesting to kind of uh, posit ideas of like, I wonder what happened there and I wonder how close he actually got. Like, I wonder if he was like abandoned on the altar. Like, I wonder if it got to that stage or like what traumatic event caused him to think, I just like to be alone and I'm just better off not being hurt. And I think he is a far far and away much more complicated character than I thought the first time that I watched this movie or it, it, it does as you know, the, the very log line of this movie states that he's just a cranky history teacher. He is, but I think there's much to be unpacked there that is just not unpacked. Um, Ben, you brought up the newlywed game and I quickly just wanted to bring up this line that Mary says, talking about him writing a monograph which in case you didn't know is it is not as long as a book um <laughs> because uh i love how they they reference that a lot uh he said she says to him you can't even dream a whole dream can you or i believe or or totally says that to him someone says mm -hmm. that to him in that moment and i think that is a 
very strong guiding light to Hunnam's character for the entire movie and how he deals with things, thinks about things, unpacks things, and eventually is able to maybe escape that veil uh, mm. at the end when he does stand up for Tolly and he does kind of fight back against um, his his boss and, and these types of things where he's unlocked the ability to dream a full dream, which I think is really interesting. Um, next one on the list, I have the kids leaving the chopper. Tolly's the only one left behind. Brian, you mentioned you thought it might have been all five kids staying over the whole movie. This is where we finally crack down to Tolly. Uh, all the kids go in the chopper, which for me, I, like... It works, but I think it's exceptionally outlandish for this movie to be like, mm-hmm. that's how the kids left. They all, the one rich kid <laughs> in the chopper and like they all fit, all their bags fit and all these things where I'm just like, okay, I, okay. All right. <laughs> I get it. You had to have totally be there alone, but like a chopper. Come on guys. Kind of fun though. I mean, super rich parents, like all of a sudden these kids are holding over and now they get to go on a ski trip. So uh, I think it just, you know, more salt in the wound for Tully of having to yeah. stay behind. Um, definitely, you know, the emphasis of that scene, but also, you know, a little salt in the wound for Paul because he doesn't get to relax now for the next two weeks. Now he still has to babysit one kid. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm with you. It's kind of, you know, far-fetched, but I think it, <laughs> it's effective. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um and, you know, I love how you just brought up how it may suck for Tolly, but it also sucks for Paul because all he wanted to do was spend the rest of his vacation reading mystery novels. That's all he wanted to do. But the simple things. He can't even get that. I know. I know. It's really unfortunate. But, no, I. it is – I. it's funny that you say it's outlandish, Ethan, because I thought the exact same thing when I first saw the movie. It was such a minor nitpick, though, that I was able to push it aside. But mm. I've seen this movie so many times since I – Watched it multiple times in theaters. I watched it with my family on Christmas Eve. And, you know, the entire time I was thinking to myself, I'm like, hmm, you know, if I was a parent, I don't know if I would want my child to go away with a family that I don't even know. I I, I don't know how I would feel about that. I know it's just a movie and, you know, not all movies make sense and what have you. And they do outlandish things. But that's a very minor nitpick for me. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's something I could brush aside, but now that you bring it up, now now I can't stop thinking about it. I don't know. I don't know if I would feel comfortable with my child when on a ski trip with a family that I don't even right. know anything about. Yeah, see, this is interesting because Hunnam calls all the parents, and in theory, all of the parents are like, yeah, you're good. Like, hop on the chopper and get out mm-hmm. of town and go on this ski trip so you don't have to hold over, which, like, I don't know. If I'm Park's parents, I'm just like... So we didn't trust him to fly and join us, but yeah. we trust him to fly in someone else's chopper and go somewhere <laughs> yeah. else without us. I think it's a little interesting. <laughs> I guess I guess because like he would have been flying all by himself, and I guess because he's, oh, with, if other he's flying people, with a group. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. But even 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 still though, even yeah. still. Uh, next, we have the almost fight in the diner. Now, this happens after Tolly crosses the U- the Rubicon, after he uh, breaks his shoulder, I believe, mm-hmm. or uh, injures his shoulder. They have to go to the hospital, kind of do this whole like dad shtick, which I think is really funny. The first time we get to see Hunnam kind of um, being like his own game, being played back yeah. at him, uh, which I think is really interesting. And then they go to the diner. Of course, I love just adore the uh the Miller High Life conversation we get here, the champagne of beers, which I think is great. And he tries. This is also where we uh get to see one of the um teachers, Miss Crane, Miss Lydia Crane, 
working a second job while you know while the holdover season is happening. Uh, she knows to bring Paul a double double Jim Beam, which I think oh, is also really only, funny. Only charges him for a single though. Oh, fucking <laughs> crucial play. The hookup. Uh, the, that's that's <laughs> the hookup. Honestly, the double for the single. Totally almost gets into a fight with these guys over pinball. Uh, and I like this scene. It feels a little bit lengthy to me on the rewatch. I was like, whoa, we're in the diner for kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, of course, it is a very crucial, pivotal plot navigation uh, device to like push Tolly and hunt them closer together and make them kind of fight this common evil and these two guys that are going to fight uh, Tolly and you know, I, I think it works. Ultimately, it works, and we get a very nice car scene after this, but mm-hmm. thoughts on the diner scene? I think it's so interesting here that after the whole exchange happens and they're outside and he throws them the keys, he's like, do you have any idea what it's like like to lose your hand, you know, and like, mm-hmm. have your hand blown off? And it's so interesting because Paul, he has this sympathy for these, like, war vets and these other people he has no sympathy for these students at his school. <laughs> yeah. Like he can't imagine that they're going through any hardships. Right. Like if you see someone that's lost their hand, he's like, Oh, that guy's had a hard time. Let's give him some grace. Let's like, you know, whatever, I'll buy you a beer. But he just thinks all these kids are spoiled little shits. Um, obviously that's like, you know, the whole running theme and what happens throughout this movie. But I just found it really interesting on the rewatch again. It's like, Oh, he's not an asshole towards everyone. He's just an asshole towards these <laughs> to kids. The kids. Cause he thinks they're all like douchebags, <laughs> you know, that shouldn't like get what they have. But if you see someone in actual, you know, peril or that suffered before he has the empathy there. I thought that was a really interesting kind of dynamic. You just like kind of show us like, he's not always an asshole just really to these kids. He fucking hates these kids, but uh, to other people, he's cool. Yeah. He brings up a point during that exchange outside of the bar, diner, restaurant, back to the car where he's like, how many boys do you know had their hands blow off? Barn boys don't go to Vietnam. They go to Yale or Dartmouth Mm -hmm. or Cornell where they deserve to or not, except for Curtis Lamb. Like that's a very important line to be brought up. And um, yeah, like you could sense that Paul obviously isn't, he doesn't look at all children this way or all younger people this way. He just tends to look at the ones that were very spoiled as like, Oh, you guys don't appreciate the value of life. You guys take everything for granted while everything is being handed to you and spoon fed to you. Mm-hmm. And daddy's writing these big checks. So you could go to the school, even though you don't deserve to go to the school. Right. Um, it's a very interesting perspective to look at. And I love this whole exchange with the two mm-hmm. of them. And I love how this is kind of really, I mean, we got some elements of this at the hospital prior to this when yep. he, you know, broke his arm and everything. But, um, I like how now at this point in the movie, we're trying to like really get the two of them to somewhat understand one another. And this is really, I think the first time in the movie where that's starting to make fruition, where it's starting Mm -hmm. to come into play. And I really do like that perspective. And again, I just love how a majority of the scenes where it has these serious, tender laid back moments, a nice joke comes in and it really, really lands (laughs) before we get going. Can I be candid with you? You smell. (laughs) Like fish. Yeah. Yeah. I, here's my take. Pinball guys are in the wrong. They were, Tolly was right. He put his dime down. Mm -hmm. He gets the pinball game next. Let's just clear that up right now. Tolly was fine. Um, Hunnam should have bought Tolly a beer 
because <laughs> my guy just broke his fucking shoulder, yeah. went through this whole thing, got you out of Dodge at the hospital, saved your job, and you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to let you have a Miller High life. That's too much. <laughs> you're asking too much here. I think that was that was a mistake on Hunnam's part. Um, of course, here, also that idea, like both of you, both of you brought up that impacts Hunnam because Dr. Woodrup, we get that conversation in the very beginning. Um, Dr. Woodrup run, runs the, the uh, Barton, the school that they're at, and basically has that position because he played the politics game and because he might have abandoned some moral obligations along the way to uphold the ideals of Barton, something that Hunnam has continuously fought to do and thus has not been rewarded for so, which is this social juxtaposition of like, rewarding the wrong people for the wrong things. Um, and so, so I think Hunnam's quite bitter about that and uses that to really inflict like his point of view of the world. And that comes up quite continuously in lots of these scenes with him who deserves things and who doesn't and, yeah. and why people get things and why some don't next on the list. I have the Christmas party. I will just say about this Christmas party. This is where Dave. I enjoy Randolph wins her Academy award. Uh, I had my best friend pass away last year in January. And I think the representation of grief and pain that she displays in the exceptionally brief moments that she's on screen to display that is powerful. And it is very accurate and um, strikingly well done. Uh, And Paul Hunnam's face in this scene when Christmas music is playing is, Probably the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Like, literally, when I saw the movie at TIFF, you know, it it, it had only shown at one place, and that was Tell You Right. This was, like, a week after it had its world premiere. And I remember when I walked into the screen for this movie, someone who had seen it at Tell You Right was about to watch it again. And they had said, and I heard them talking about this with somebody that they were with, there is a shot on Paul Giamatti's face that is literally going to break your heart. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not ready for that. And then when we got to that scene and just that look on his face, it is so devastating. I know it's overused now online. Every time it's like, oh, Paul Giamatti won this award and won that award, blah, blah. It's just that particular image. And I'm like, okay, we have other images that we can use, but (laughs) I get why this one's being used. But the thing that really stuck to me immediately after I saw that movie was again, something very, very subtle, something super subtle to where what is playing in the background when that happens, Mm. it's the most wonderful time of the year. They claim that the holidays are the most wonderful time of the year. And he finally was somewhat connecting with this person in, um, Lydia crane crane. And then all of a sudden, you know, like you think like chemistry is happening. You think there might be something and and then it turns out that it's not. And just you hear the words, it's the most wonderful time of the year as he's just looking all sad on the couch and it just, it breaks my heart. And then quickly transition into that, that scene where I agree with you, Ethan, that scene where she's breaking down in the kitchen. That's her Oscar clip, hands down. That's what yeah. gets her the Oscar. Just... It's one of the best portrayals of someone grieving that I've seen on the big screen in a very long time. 
and just how she delivers the line, he's gone. Oh my God. Fucking ret me. Truly ret mm-hmm. me. Like the yeah. entire time Mary's like, you could see her quietly grieving, but she's really hiding it. And this is really the first time where she's letting it all out. She's, she's drunk. She's at a party. A song plays that she was really, that has a connection with her and her son. And she keeps playing it back. And everyone's like, could you please change the music and whatever? And she's like, she's like, back the fuck up and what have you. And then we just cut into the kitchen and it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. It's uh, an amazing scene. If anything, I was surprised at how brief it was. Yeah. I thought, you know, I'm like, okay. Here comes the monologue. Like, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for this. And then the scene just like cuts like, oh, shit. Okay. Like, I thought for sure we were getting something else here, but I don't know that it was necessary. Like, I think she was able to get across all those emotions just in that short amount of time. Um, And, you know, on the other side of it, juxtapose the party, totally kiss someone. You know, he's having a great time. You know, he's like, cool. (laughs) I want to go back. Like, let's drop it off and let's go back. So a real interesting, uh, yeah, one and two there. Hanum gets absolutely robbed in this scene, by the way. Like, Lydia Crane, terribly nice woman, um, quite good looking for, you know, he (laughs) works with her and has a connection and repertoire with her. And her and her husband are just, Sparks are flying when he comes home, and yeah. I just I feel for my boy. Like he just husband got, he boyfriend. Got one, two, we don't we don't know we don't even know if she is married. We don't know that's if fair. that's a boyfriend, fiance, husband. We have no idea. Well, all we know it's not Paul Hunnam, and that's where exactly she, that's where she exactly. does wrong. Um, okay, next on the list, I have the bookshop and the museum in Boston. Of course, uh, totally convinces um, Hunnam to take him to Boston. Mary uses that as an as kind of an excuse to go back home and visit her family and kind of confront her traumas and demons that she's tackling this time of year as well. Uh, very fun stuff happens in Boston. I love their escapade. We get another movie where we get to watch people watching a movie, which I think is a big win. Uh, and the bookshop where we find out that Paul Hunnam's loins used to burn red hot. And that is incredible screenwriting to me just really <laughs> fucking good stuff <laughs> <laughs> mr tolly for most people sex is 99 percent friction and one percent goodwill call me old-fashioned but i should place value on physical <laughs> intimacy and so should you <laughs> curl your toes gross so brutal what does he call it he's like you want some candy cane like that? yeah or, yeah, yeah yeah that's candy pretty cane. funny uh, and, and then it cuts wanted... and then it cuts to the museum where they see that one shot he's like it's candy cane yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good so scene. Good. I, I like I like them. They're coming together. They're f- they're forming a connection. Uh and I think which makes the next scene even more powerful because Tully visits his dad in a sanitarium essentially and we kind of get the background on Tully's dad and his family situation and um uh, just one day basically his dad just kind of like started acting weird and and forgetting what was happening and um it's interesting to see the evolution of the relationship between Toll and uh Tolly and Hunnam and then totally take advantage of that, which is not something that I really f- foresaw in this movie. Um and really uh goes in a different direction than I anticipated. Of course Hunnam ends up kind of coming on board. Uh but he tries to sneak away after things were going so good. 
which I thought was, you know, a, a nice diversion, I think, and a nice spice to like the final act of the movie. Yeah, I thought it was uh, wonderful, you know, ditching out of the movie to get out of there. And I mean, this is also after we've seen, we as the audience have seen their connection with their depression medication. Right. You know, which was kind of interesting too. It's like, oh, when I got low energy, I take this. Like it's for depression, right? You know. It's like, oh, you got so, me rye bread? My favorite. Rye toast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. So it, it is, it does kind of come out of nowhere. It's like, well, yeah, they've been getting along. Like what the fuck's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think their connection leads to Hunnam like going with him. You know, he's yep. like, all right, I'm going to give this kid a chance. Like, let's see what this is about. Obviously, he thinks he's going to a cemetery, so that's kind of an interesting dynamic as well. But I thought this played really wonderfully for me. Yeah, it was very, very beautifully handled. And I really like, again, how they... I I did not expect this to be how it was going to pan out. You know, when he yelled at him outside of uh, Lydia's house that his father was dead, I assumed that, okay, his father is dead, like Mm -hmm. actually dead. But what I didn't expect was that his father was alive. He's in, you know, like a mental hospital or what you want to call it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's not the same person he was that Angus remembers him being. And I like how, you know, this entire segment of them in Boston outside of the school it was a nice change of pace. I thought it was a nice way of getting out of the school just for, you know, more than like five minutes when they went to the party or when they went to the hospital. Yeah. Like it was a good 20, 25 minutes of them outside of Barton. And I like how they get closer and I like how things get moving and what have you. Um, But I, I think everything with the father was handled great i would have liked a little bit more with that i Mm. i'll I'll be honest but i think what we got was really great and then it cut to my favorite monologue of the entire movie with them in the restaurant and just him saying of how you know how um angus's mom looks at him differently and how he says that when she looks at me she sees him as in his father mm-hmm. and she's worried that he could become like him. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that's so depressing that, that just, just thinking about it right now is making me teary eyed because like, you know, there are times where we ask ourselves, are we going to be like our parents, whether it's the good side or possibly the bad side of our parents? We love our parents more than anything, but you know, all of us have our own demons and we all go through certain things that we may not necessarily want to go through. But just that line of how he thinks his own mother doesn't love him, that is so devastating. I cannot even imagine like being in that position where yeah. you as a child think that your parent doesn't love you the way that they should. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack for sure. Um, here's the thing, though: his mom is an asshole. So absolutely, I, <laughs> there's I, that. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I think that's a large portion, of course, of why Tully feels the way that he feels. The last thing on the list here is kind of this resolution where Tully's parents come to Barton. They find out that he went to visit his dad in Boston. Um, Tully and his his mom and his mom's new dad or new new partner. Um, 
and they basically threatened to send him to a, a military academy, which is exactly what he didn't want to happen from the very beginning of the movie. Um, I do feel like we ended this resolution rather quickly, to your point, Brian. Like, I think we move fast, like very quickly from Tolly's dad to like, oh, wow, Tolly's mom found out about it. And now we're like resolving all of the things. Um, but outside of that... Of course, we get a very tender moment between Tolly and Mary outside of this office of like, we don't know what the future holds, what's going to happen. Uh, and, you know, Hunnam ends up sticking up for Tolly and and kind of mouths off to uh, the, the president of the school and an all-timer insult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get a really interesting look about what character what each character values about the other person of course uh and we get to find out the correct eye to look in for hunnam mm-hmm. so a big win all the way around that that, <laughs> that was like you know and people could laugh about the whole eye thing and what have you but just the way that giamatti delivers what eye is the correct yeah. eye it's so so tender it's well, so it's, tender and it's so moving. And for some reason, people are like, why are people getting emotional during this? Because it's, yeah. you know, it's well, full it's, circle. It's full circle. It's a big character revelation as well. Being able to let his guard down and share that information with not one person, but two people and being mm-hmm. that personal with somebody about something that people don't respect him for and something right. that really makes him the way that he is, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, Ben, what do you think of the kind of the final scenes and resolution of the film? I mean, the eye reveal was awesome, but I just think, you know, some of the most touching stuff is just them at the car there at the end, uh, just yeah. connecting with each other. That was, you know, well, I think he says like, I forget exactly what he says, but he's like, I was going to tell you the same thing, you know, like take care of yourself or whatever. Keep your head up. Keep your head mm-hmm. up. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, I was going to tell you the same thing. Um, I thought that was a, just a nice way for them to connect with each other on, as they part ways. Yeah, it was good. Um, I like a lot of things about this movie. And of course, uh, you know, we, t- we talked about a, a lot of them. I'm going to kind of go off script and choose my true cinema moment to actually be the end where we get to see Hunnam drive away, realizing a full dream and mm-hmm. moving on from Barton somewhere he's been his entire life, freeing something up in his life. Um, and of course, the thematic elements that go along with that. That also incorporates him stealing the exceptionally expensive liquor from mm-hmm. his boss and spitting it out as he drives kind of, he crosses his own Rubicon outside of uh, uh, the the school. Barton, and yeah. Uh, yeah, outside of Barton and, and basically uses that to memorialize like, this is who I was and I'm moving forward in my life now. Uh, we don't know anything outside of like this little sliver of life that we see with him these few weeks or whatever it may be. But that is a great wrap to the movie. And, and both times when that happened, I was like, Oh, that was cool. Like that, you know, just like this good, very good, like feel good 1970s flick of like, that's how it should end. Like <laughs> that, that makes sense. That, that totally checks and tracks and all these things. Uh, so I, I, I like that part quite a bit. Uh, true cinema moment, Brian, True cinema moment. I mean, there's so many to choose from in this movie, but I think for me, I am going to go. 
I think I'm going to go with one of the more underappreciated moments in the movie, and that's the sequence where, you know, they go to the museum and everything, and then he talks about how, you know, people really don't like you. People hate you. And, you know, they play The Wind by Cat Stevens, which automatically, if you play that song in anything, the waterworks will commence. That's just (laughs) going to happen no matter what. And I found it to be a very beautiful moment. And then he reunites with his college roommate, where we learn, mm. you know, how Paul had the scholarship and he was at Harvard of all schools in the world. And then he got kicked out because he ran his roommate over with a car. And then just subtly the guy, the cashier at the liquor store is like, take care, killer. killer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, killer. So sick. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I mean, mine ties into that. It was running into the old roommate and just Mm. totally kind of keeping him on his toes. Like, oh, you're writing a book, right? Why don't you tell him about it? What's it called? It's about cameras, right? You know, you should tell him. Um, So I liked that. And it's like, what what was all that about Barton and don't lie? He's like, well, that was a private conversation leading right into what Brian was talking (laughs) about. It was was, wasn't private. The wife and I were standing right there. (laughs) (laughs) I love that scene. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good scene. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, quite a great movie, honestly. The thing about The Holdovers is that I think it immediately entered the pantheon of like Christmas films, and and I I love that. I think it's fantastic. Coming out in 2023 is tough because 2023 is one of the best years for movies we've had in quite Mm -hmm. some time. So like, you know, outside of like two or three films every year or whatever, talking of like the best picture slate of these 10 like the holdovers being in this conversation is warranted. I think that just goes to show like how deep of a year it was uh, for film. I like the holdovers and I was really glad that I rewatched it. I'm excited whenever the, you know, the opportunity comes up again to, to, to rewatch the holdovers again. Like I think it's a quite a feel good film, of course, streaming on Peacock right now, which is uh, really exciting. Um, we mentioned Dave. I enjoy Randolph, her Academy Awards scene, her clip, whatever it may be and how we think she's going to win this race. So let's, Talk about the best supporting actress race just for a couple of minutes and kind of go through this. This is the first time we've talked about a race where we've had the five nominees and we haven't had to guess. We haven't had to say who might get in, who might get out. So, of course, we've got Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferreira for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Any thoughts before you say who you think is going to I feel like we think... We all think Davine is going to win. Um, any thoughts on like this slate? I know we briefly touched on like the Jodie Foster of things. Brian, do you have any thoughts on like the America Ferrera situation we have going on here? I'll get to that last. I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts on that. Um, I'm very happy that Emily Blunt is here. I know a lot of people talk about how she didn't really have a lot to do in Oppenheimer really until the third act. That sequence where she goes off onto uh, Jason Clark, and that scene is incredible, of course. But she she's always been a great performer, and it's great to see her finally get her flowers in a long overdue nomination. I didn't love the color purple, but I'm very happy for Danielle Brooks. Danielle Brooks was easily my favorite thing about the movie, and mm-hmm. I've loved her for a long time as well. And I love how someone who so prolific on stage and then on television and as well as film is now getting her flowers as well, yeah. you know, for being Oscar nominated for a role that won her a Tony, which is essentially the Oscars for theater. So that's a really, really cool thing. Jodie Foster. Yeah. We talked about that very briefly. And then America Ferreira. Okay. Um, Oh God. Tread, I don't, tread, I, tread lightly. I, I, yeah. I, I, I tread, tread, <laughs> I'm treading lightly. Okay. So 
I like America Ferrera a lot. I America Ferrera is kind of a staple to the Suffield household. When I was younger, I would watch Ugly Betty all the time with my mom and sister. Sure. So I naturally like America Ferrera is a huge staple to me. I did not think that she was even going to get nominated at all. I know there were some people out there predicting, oh, maybe she could sneak her way in. And I'm like, I don't know. I know why people are predicting her, but I don't know if I think they're actually going to go the distance and nominate her. And the fact that they did, would she have been in my five? No. Do I think she was very good in the movie? Yes. Do I think the nomination is deserving i i've conflicting thoughts again i wouldn't have nominated her over certain performers i'm not necessarily annoyed that she got nominated but it's definitely the one where i'm like okay fine whatever mm-hmm. like it's not the worst nomination it's not the best nomination either it's much better than the net bennett's nomination anyone <laughs> out there anyone i saw a tweet saying that this nomination was worse than Annette Bennett's and I'm like are you on crack I literally pulled no, an Ethan I'm like are you fucking thing. high <laughs> are you high what are you doing <laughs> but no but no yeah. I, I, I I like the lineup it's not my favorite but I, I have no qualms like very sure. little qualms that's good that's good um, Ben how are you feeling about the five uh, I mean I feel okay about it considering I've only seen three of the movies like mm-hmm. I haven't seen Nyad or Color Purple so Okay, uh, I, I haven't seen know. the color purple. That's the only one out of here I haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, again, I think I said it last week, and I'm just you know throwing you the softball here. But America Ferrera is Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah. That's what this nomination is. Million percent. That's and yeah. I, I was totally gonna say that too. This is the 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 Ruffalo of this year, and I think or the you know the the spotlight Ruffalo of this year, mm-hmm. and I think. Much like Annette Benning's nomination, it does solidify that even though the voting body has gotten substantially whiter and younger and more diverse, they still hold on to that, we like who we like, and if you deliver a good monologue. Mm-hmm. like I, And I know we talk all the time about when you get to this stage in the Academy Awards season of like, what's the moment? We talk about it with Dave and Joy Randolph. Like, what is the moment or the monologue or the speech that, gets you that Academy Award nomination, of course, for Mark Ruffalo and Spotlight, like that was the moment. And so I I think they still hold that very near and dear to their yeah. heart. And with America Ferreira, the monologue that she had, I think the the social and cultural importance of that, I think they felt they needed to recognize that. That that definitely has to be a big factor into the nomination. And you know, there are people that say that she wasn't really good in the movie outside of that scene. Obviously, that wasn't the performance that I talked about or I took away a lot from when I saw the movie. I've seen the movie multiple times and I love it. And I love that scene so much. I mean, that scene really is chef's kiss, 10 out of 10, no notes. But I don't want people online to think that the only reason she got nominated was because of that monologue. I don't want people to think that at all because there are some subtle moments in that performance that really stuck out to me. Mm. You know, she's a mother as well. And, you know, she's trying to have this good relationship with her child. And I like the performance. Again, I wouldn't have nominated her for an Oscar. I think it's cool that America Ferreira is an Oscar nominee. I think that... That's a win in its own that she is an Academy Award nominee because I never would have thought she would be an Academy Award nominee because she's primarily a television performer and everything. So 
there's a win to it, but I can understand why some people are disappointed, especially considering that, you know, she got nominated, Ryan got nominated, but the lead of the movie didn't get nominated. I can understand that some people are annoyed about that, but again, like, it's not the worst nomination out there. It really is far from the worst acting nom that we've gotten in a long time. Sure. Ben, who else did you have predicted to be nominated? I can't remember what you what you put on the list. Uh, Rachel McAdams. Are you there, guys? Me, Margaret. That's yeah, what see, I thought. This is where that conversation gets a little dicey because it feels like that could have been McAdams' spot. Like that that mm-hmm. feels much more deserved, quote unquote, much more aligned with what this category necessitates or implies or, or warrants. I had Penelope Cruz and Ferrari and Julianne Moore in May December. May mm-hmm. December goose eggs on any acting noms, which I think is pretty interesting uh and only gets one nomination in in screenplay uh i think we're all pretty aligned dave i enjoy randolph has this in the bag she's won pretty much every single precursor uh i i'm pretty sure i think her speech is going to be great i'm very excited for her and uh i just watched rustin right before we recorded apparently she's in rustin for like two minutes which just incredible stuff uh what a great year for for her uh i think Jodie Foster being Nyad or being nominated for Nyad, I don't have a huge problem with it. I think she's pretty good in that movie. I think Nyad is like an exceptionally average sports biopic that's just like n- not um, inspiring whatsoever. Which but I think they nominated the Ron sports biopic this year. That's the thing. <laughs> the, like they yes, recognized the Ron sports true. biopic this you year. Know, you want to know why? It's because they have a Netflix uh, conference. I know, going on. and it came out much earlier. That's the thing. It came. It premiered that mm. Tell You Ride in August, and it got <laughs> dropped on Netflix in November. At least it played somewhere. It even played at TIFF when I was there. I didn't see it there. I missed it at TIFF, but. Yeah, I I just like they just recognized the Ron sports biopic, but I agree with you, Jody. I thought Jody was actually really good in the movie. I thought she was quite good. And yeah. last night I started up the new season of True Detective, and she kicks so much ass on that. She's so good on that, and she's great. In that. I, I'm really yeah. glad that we're in this time where Jody Foster is making somewhat of a comeback because I feel like she was gone for a little while i mean she had done some supporting performances and obviously she's not the lead in naiad but it's a pretty big role and now she's the lead in a pretty popular television series on hbo so it's a it's a good time to be a fan of jodie foster right now i think like people who have been longtime fans of her like this is like a great time for her because she's starring in true detective and she's oscar nominated for a movie like that's huge that's a huge win yeah Big W for sure. Um, any closing thoughts on the holdovers that we that we didn't talk about? I'm I'm glad that what, we got the chance to cover it. What is your favorite quote from the movie? <laughs> from the holdovers? Oh, well, yeah, that's that's tough. Uh, probably I I can't do it word for word, but it's whatever he says about basically if you don't um have any physical exercise, the body starts to eat itself. Uh, and I just think that's hilarious coming from And then he like coughs up body. like profusely. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Some really good acting. <laughs> it's it's so good. I think I like uh, the only tool in your room is you. I like that when he's <laughs> talking shit about. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, Brian, thanks for being on the pod, man. I appreciate it. We had a good time talking about the holdovers. Uh, if people want to find more of you, where can they find you at? 
Of course, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm very glad that I got to talk about this movie with you guys. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Brian Sutfield. And you can subscribe to my podcast, Film Fragments, on any podcast and platform. I just had Ethan on a few weeks ago. It was a great discussion. Ben, yeah, please was. come on soon. I need you on, like, soon. Maybe you could top Ethan's appearance on it. So you know we'll what? have to see what happens. Money. <laughs> you, know what we sh- you know what you should get on there and do, Ben? You should get on there. You should do Mark Ruffalo, and then you could do the spotlight bit. Oh, hell yeah. I can take it over. It's my you, thing now. Yeah, then you could outpass the belt to you. Uh, it could have been me. It could have been you. It could have been all of us. <laughs> you could just, yeah, bring me on as a little guest appearance for sure. Uh, yeah, go check out uh, Brian's, Brian's podcast, Film Fragments, super exciting stuff. Next week on the pod, we're going to try to answer the question, did she do it? as we talk about Anatomy of a Fall with uh, Jonathan of The Film Drunk on Twitter. Excited to have Jonathan on. I'm excited to revisit Anatomy of a Fall. I haven't seen it since New York Film Festival a few months ago. So I'm very excited to talk about it, break it down a little bit. Um, And I think it's going to be a great episode of the pod, Ben. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's probably my most anticipated movie right now. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, What awards do you guys think the holdovers are picking up at the Academy Awards? Is it going to win Best Picture? Uh, let us know what you think. We are on Instagram and Twitter at 24 minutes of a 24. We're also on YouTube at 24 minutes of a 24. You can watch all of our beautiful faces as we talk about these movies. Uh, thanks so much everyone for your support. We appreciate it. I am Ben Lawhorn, and I am Ethan Simi son of a bitch. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs>